0: Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Martellaro. And this week, my guest is Dr. Amy Fast. Amy, welcome to Background Mode.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: For the listeners, Amy Fast is a high school principal in the McMinnville School District in Oregon. She holds a doctor of education degree. Previously, she's been an elementary teacher, instructional coach, and assistant principal. She's also an education commenter and author of the book it's the mission, not the mandate, which we'll talk about. I've been following you for about a year now on Twitter, and uh, I thought you'd be a particularly timely guest to have on, considering education is on everybody's minds right now, remote learning, lockdown, staying at home, the struggles that students are facing. And so we'll get into that in the second half of the show. That's but great. as Background Mode does, we like to hear about the guest's career and how you came to be where you are today. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I went into education. Um, I took one of those assessments in high school that uh, is like a career interest inventory, and it uh, it said I should either be a, a teacher or a pastor or a motivational speaker. Uh, and I had always kind of wanted to be a teacher because I thought that that the education profession uh, had the most leverage to, uh, impact the world of most, uh, fields. So I was excited about going into that. I, was, I wanted to be a high school English teacher, but then I got to college and decided I didn't want to spend a lot of time, uh, reading sadly. Uh, and I actually went into ed- elementary education. And so I, I, I got hired in the school that I was student teaching in and I taught fourth and fifth grade for about 10 years, at which point I became, uh, I'm an, an instructional coach for, both the elementary and middle school level. I did that for about five years um, and then was hired as an assistant principal at the high school level. And I had the honor of uh, being able to serve as assistant principal for some of the students that I actually looped with when I had them in fourth and fifth grade. Uh, So I kind of followed them throughout their educational journey, first as their teacher, then as their instructional coach, and then as our high school assistant principal. And then just last year I got hired on as the high school principal and this is I'm going into my 20th year in education right now
0: cool where did the edd come in
1: oh well that was um when I was an instructional coach um I'm a pretty restless person I didn't really have a uh an end goal for it in terms of career uh aspirations but I definitely uh I don't want to say I get bored although that's probably the truth but I I'm always kind of Ready for that next challenge. And so I decided to get my doctorate, not knowing where it might take me. And then with that, I needed to um, have an endorsement area. And so I wrapped in my administrative license, thinking I'd probably never become an administrator. And then as soon as I got my uh, degree, I ended up uh, getting uh, asked to apply for that position. So um, yeah, I, the EDD was more just, I don't want to say a fun uh, $60,000 venture, but. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't have like any real purpose in mind other than just to continue my learning.
0: Can I ask you what college that was?
1: Yeah, it was George Fox in Oregon. I've heard Fox, of me. that one. Yeah, hmm. it's a small private school. I actually went to Linfield for my undergrad and George Fox is just down the road in Newburgh, Oregon.
0: Cool. Well you've written a book called It's The Mission, Not the Mandate. Defining the Purpose of Public Education. It invites a conversation among students. I'm reading from Amazon here. Stakeholders in public education and conveys the need for a common vision for America's public schools. You argue that there's never been a clear purpose for our schools and that now more than ever educators in America ache for a more inspiring purpose than simply improving results on standardized results, standardized assessments. So we've all heard about standardized tests and how it numbs the brains of the students. How are we going to get out of that fix?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, that's kind of the whole point of my book. I'm actually someone who's not super against standardized tests, but I'm against them as being the sole measure for success of students. So I think the the number one way to get out of that uh, that that mess is to, number one, define what success means, what matters to us, what's our greatest mission when we're trying to educate students. And if we're short-sighted with that mission, then we're going to land on things like standardized tests as our metric to determine whether or not we're, Um, uh, adequately educating students. And so in my book, I basically, um, I I didn't write it with a thesis, if you will, in mind. I just kind of wrote it. And as I was doing my research, I was unpacking what schools should be for, because if we don't know what schools are for, how do we know if we're succeeding um, in our mission? So um, by the end, I kind of determined that there's really this, this triple Venn diagram. And in the middle lies the purpose of schools. And in one of those Circles is obviously academic achievement, and that's typically what schools are thought to be for, for the most part. But really, that's where I say we're a little short-sighted. There's really two other circles that overlap that that one circle, and the other two are those foundational skills, which some refer to as soft skills, which are like leadership, communication, teamwork, all the things that make someone want to be, um, you know, want want make others want to hire someone as an employee, make people want to. Um, to have a relationship, you know, with that person as a friend or a spouse, it's really what makes you um, that undercurrent that makes you successful in life. And then the third circle um, is, is intrinsic drive. So you could have all the academic skills and foundational skills in the world, but if you don't have that hope for making something of your life and a purpose greater than yourself, then it's all kind of for naught. So to me, the purpose of schools lies in the middle of those three those three missions.
0: It's very interesting. You should bring that up because uh, my wife is a college instructor. And um, one of the things, several of the things she notices that she teaches programming, Python, C++, Java. One of the things she noticed, she tells me about is, is that students try their high school technique. That is, they come in, they smile, they keep the seat warm, they attend class, and they feel like just being there and keeping the seat warm, they'll eventually pass, which works in high school because there's motivation to keep them there. It does not work in a college programming class. Right. And and the other thing that she notices is that, as you said, many of her students don't seem to have a driving vision for the future. They know they want to get some programming knowledge because they think it's going to give them a good-paying job. But other than that, they don't have any grand scheme for their life. And they're hard-pressed to work alone, especially uh, these days when students are working remotely a little more. And the other thing she noticed is that it's hard for the students to work alone and do creative play. They want to get their assignment done, and they'll turn in a programming assignment with errors instead of playing with it and fooling around with it. There comes to a time when they say, okay, I'm done with this, and they submit it, and they know it's wrong, but it's time to turn it in. They figure maybe they'll get good credit for trying. And now all that stuff that my wife tells me about is exactly what you're talking about in a three-factor Venn diagram. Absolutely.
1: I would say that, you know, it's, it's interesting that one of those circles is intrinsic motivation, yet the whole K-12 public school system is pretty much based on e- extrinsic motivation. So we shouldn't be surprised when they get to college and are trying to just put in the seat time to get the grade that they want, because we're conditioning them, K-12, through to do it for the grade rather than to do it for the intrinsic value of the learning itself. Um, so I, I actually don't blame students for that. I blame the system that's set up to condition them to think that
0: way. How are we going to get out of that fix? Is there a way for teachers to to inspire their students through, you know, videos or guest speakers or summer visits to uh, industry or how, how are we going to get out of that fix?
1: Well, Again, I I actually don't blame the teachers either. I, you can be the best teacher in the world. And if you're teaching within a a broken system, there's only so much um, that you can do to override that, that message that also, by the way, comes from parents too, and society, get your A, get your B, do you know what I mean? Like do what it takes to get the grade. Yeah,
0: yeah. so
1: I think, I think it's, it's really, um, that's why in my book, I, you know, I, I spent years, um, I spent years as an instructional coach. So I'm very familiar with best practice when it comes to in, curriculum and instruction in the school that I've seen some of the most amazing teachers, um, the, in, that i can imagine um work their magic with students and and some really good teachers can um override the the conditioning of the system but until we start um really being clear about what matters and then also putting our money where our mouth is in terms of measuring what matters i i think it's we're fighting an uphill battle for the most part
0: i remember a college shakespeare class i took and the professor was an accomplished orator and Shakespearean expert and scholar. And he just came into the class and with a short intro, he started reading from Shakespeare. And he was so dynamic and so powerful and so wonderful that we learned Shakespeare just by listening to the intonation of his voice and the way he couched the terms and the little parenthetical clarifications and explanation of, of language. And when the bell rang, we nobody moved we were mesmerized by him every once in a while i see a a news story on tv about a high school teacher who'll come in and do fabulous physics experiments or dress up like a shakespearean actor and read to the students but that's so few and far between i mean those are the great stories but but, i don't uh,
1: i don't think there's few and far between i think that's the narrative that's pervasive in society but i'd say that my experience and granted i work in a very accomplished high school i would say that's the norm more than it's the exception to the rule honestly um yeah absolutely the the innovation and creativity on the part of our teachers is is outstanding it's outstanding and they teach in a high poverty community uh which is our which is our town and they our graduation rate is um is uh around 95 percent this year our dropout rates below one percent so they're, they're working their magic, and then they're seeing the results, but we don't have that widespread sy- systemic change, you know, a- across the nation that we have in pockets of greatness around around the
0: country. As we've focused more and more on standardized tests and, and grades go up, is there any correlation between that and the SATs for those who go into college? No,
1: that's a good question. Um, I, I would imagine. I, I don't. I don't know the latest research on that. Um, I would imagine there's some correlation, but the SAT test is pretty far away from the standards we're actually tasked with helping students master. Um, so I, I, I'm. I wouldn't also be surprised if it's not entirely uh, correlated. I do know some colleges um, are are going away from using SATs as the as the metric for student entrance, and I know that a lot of public high schools and private high schools as well are, are looking at more of a portfolio-based um, assessment that would be used as opposed to the SAT, or um, instead of the, the current standardized test, we use using the SAT as the, as the standardized test for high school. So I think there's flaws with both. Um, I think there is some correlation, but again, the, the standardized test that we use in Oregon are completely aligned to the common core standards and the SATs are not.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Why is that? Why, what is the SAT getting at?
1: You know, I don't know. I would say that maybe in math it might be more aligned than it is in language arts. You know, language arts is, and, and maybe in the writing portion is, but there's a lot of the SAT, and, and granted, I'm, not, I'm no expert on the SAT. I'm way more familiar with the, the SBAC test that I'm referring to. Um, But the, you know, the SAT has um, some 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 additional pieces that are and and, and maybe that's from before we went Common Core, when all the states had different standards and there had to be some kind of cohesion among a college entrance test. So they didn't you know, they didn't base it on any kind of national standards.
0: Are we still talking about the cultural bias of the SAT? And if so, is anything being done about it?
1: that's a good question you know yes we're talking about it and yes in high school circles we're even talking about the like I said the relevance in terms of college entrance um, I know the SAT is or the college board is um, is saying that they are do- doing things about it although I could not speak to what those things are
0: currently okay all right well we've come to the end of the first segment of the show in the second half of the show I want to talk to you about the impact the COVID-19 pandemic is having on education which you probably know a little bit about and so we'll be back in 60 seconds, folks. I'm chatting with Dr. Amy Fast. Stay with us. Today our sponsor is MacPaw. One of MacPaw's apps I want to tell you about today is Clean My Mac X. Clean My Mac X is a beautifully designed application for managing clutter on your Mac. It shows you exactly what's stored on your Mac, revealing app leftovers and system junk that you didn't know existed. The app's most popular feature is Smart Scan. It examines your system for system log files and user cache, it is no longer needed. SmartScan also does a quick malware scan. Time to complete? A few seconds. Designed for macOS 10.10 and higher, CleanMyMac X helps speed up even the oldest machines. The maintenance feature offers multiple tweaks to optimize your slow system. And installation takes just a couple of minutes. CleanMyMac X has a trial mode, which allows you to try out the app's features for free and decide whether it works for you. Visit macpaw.com podcast to purchase a subscription and use coupon code BGM2020 to receive 5% off. Click the Buy Now button, then scroll to the bottom of your screen to enter the code before completing your purchase. CleanMyMac X is also now available in the Apple App Store. So check it out. And thanks, MacPaw, for being our sponsor. Thanks, we're back. I'm chatting with Dr. Amy Fast, an educator. So everything that's been happening lately education makes the news and there's a whole lot of angst and discussion about how teachers are dealing with the return to school and it's an enormous subject and uh, i want to just hit the highlights here with you and hear it from from you who's experiencing this personally and we've got about 15 minutes to do that so let's start with how your district is feeling about planning for remote or hybrid classes or in class
1: Sure. Well, I'd say there's been a lot of uh, both cognitive and emotional whiplash that's happened since the spring because we're continually having to make plans and then readjust our plans, not only based on the CDC guidance, but also based on the Oregon Department of Education's guidelines that seem to change every week. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's planning for what we think is the ideal, and then there's planning within the constraints that were provided. Um, and it's been really tricky, it's especially hard for someone, you know, who wrote a book about what education should be. And now you get to operate within this tiny little box that really feels like a lose-lose in some ways for students in that, um, you know, it's not its never—it's not going to be the ideal for families until we're out of the clear um, with, with health and safety in our community. So we have both uh, a hybrid model planned for if it's safe, bringing kids to school two days a week, whereas the other three, they do distance learning. And then we also have a comprehensive distance learning plan where they're learning from home five days a week, which is one thing to plan for. At the high school level, it's a whole other game at elementary, especially primary K-2 students. I, I just, I, I really feel for those kindergarten parents and kindergarten teachers, um, it'd be heartbreaking uh, going into this year with a five or six-year-old and, and having this be their first experience with school.
0: I kind of get the feeling, and maybe it's just me, that there is a lot of hopeful, wishful thinking going on in the midst of uh, this pandemic because we don't really have an ironclad handle on this testing. And testing every student every morning is tough and getting the results back quick is tough and dealing with an outbreak is tough. And so I see these plans being made for partial uh, resumption of in-class in- activities And then as soon as there's an outbreak, everything's all going to collapse. And there's going to be sort of a a fast shuffle and readjustment. And then uh, remote plans are going to have to be really kicked into high gear. Is that how you're seeing it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think some districts are taking um, the approach where if we start with Remote learning and kind of get that dialed, and then gradually introduce kids to school. It's probably a better it's better It's probably a better idea than starting yeah. with hybrid, troubleshoot, and then and then fall back into distance learning. So, um, you know, I I think that the the answer to both the health issue as well as the education issue uh, lies somewhere in the gray middle, which isn't such black and white thinking, but looking at starting with a pretty much remote plan, but strategically bringing kids into school for like CTE classes and, and uh, special education classes and, and
0: CTE yeah. I don't know that term
1: career technical education. So your wife's class would be considered a CTE class, computer science at our school. So mm-hmm. some classes that are super hard to do without being in person that are either hands on like fabrication or cooking. Oh
0: yeah, nursing, woodworking.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Repair. exactly. So yeah. I think there needs to be some outside the box thinking that is uh, more than just like we're in person or we're not um, I think that we need to. There's a way to strategically get kids in either at night, or um, you know, in, in small in small groups to be able to do some of those more hands-on classes.
0: Are you thinking about some sort of pod-like arrangements where the students stay connected?
1: Yeah, sort of. It's really hard to do in a comprehensive high school with 2,200 students. Mm-hmm. Um, the more you cohort them, the less opportunity. And personalizing of the curriculum that they have. So I also don't want to track students, and what what I mean by that is I don't want to say okay if you're in remedial English, you have to also be in remedial math and remedial science and remedial social studies because that's the pod you're in. So we are trying to group kids with by advisory. So basically, when they're in the building or when they're when they're physically um, in school, they're actually. They're with that cohort, but in their advisory class, and that advisory teacher is basically like a liaison between them and the rest of their educational experience. Uh, That way, kids can follow the Oregon Department of Education guidelines by not coming into contact with more than 100 other students and also have some face-to-face time in the building by being either with their advisory teacher or with like a career technical education teacher or a, a learning resource teacher or something to that effect.
0: You know, a lot of teachers are up there in years and have a lot of experience, but they also may have some health issues. Are teachers who are concerned about catching the, the virus from staff and students driving the discussion? I've heard that about a fifth of teachers are reluctant to come back in, in class at all.
1: Yeah, I, would, I, don't, I don't know if I'd say driving the discussion, but they're absolutely contributing to it as they should be. You know, I'm, I'm someone who's immunocompromised. I have rheumatoid arthritis and have since I was 14 years old. So I understand the fear and I feel I feel the same fear. And I don't know what's greater. My fear for contracting an illness and bringing it home to my own family or my fear for students being in the community without the connection to school, knowing that so many of them are in traumatizing uh, experiences when they're not in school. So that's why I say it's just a, it's a heartbreaking and impossible Decision and, and teachers should not be made, uh, we should not demonize teachers for caring about the health of their families. Um, and, and we also need to weigh that concern in the, in the midst of all the other uh, concerns that we have if we don't have kids in school. So it's a, it's a pretty impossible decision to make, and all voices need to be at the table to make it.
0: How do you feel about the funding of your district for things like masks and sanitizing lotion and other things that you may need to clean the school? I mean, I've heard that a lot of school districts, the teachers end up spending their own pocket money for, you know, things like paper and crayons and pencils. Well,
1: we, um, Oregon just recently passed some of the best legislation in terms of school funding prior to this COVID outbreak. And so we were going to be in the best situation that we've been in in 20 years. Um, and we're waiting to hear if that funding is going to remain stable given the economic, you know, issues that are happening as a result of COVID. But I would say our our district's doing a pretty good job of providing that PPE uh, to to teachers and making sure they have what they need. But that money, you know, is, is coming from somewhere, you know, would have been dedicated to something else. So just because we're providing that safety equipment doesn't mean it's not taking away from other educational opportunities that might exist if we didn't have to pay for those things.
0: How are you dealing with testing? and temperature checks. Temperature checks don't tell you if the person is maybe asymptomatic and doesn't have a fever, but could spread it. Are you even bothering with temperature checks or are you waiting for the test results and how often are the students and staff being tested?
1: I don't know I don't know about testing yet. We're um, waiting for guidance for Oregon Department of Edu- Education, but they aren't requiring temperature checks. They are requiring symptom checks where we're basically having eyes on kids as they walk in the building and uh. ask, them, ask them questions about about symptoms. Um, but, but Oregon's not requiring temperature checks at this time. So, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of the state uh, was in a situation where they're starting remotely until all that gets more ironed out. But right now, there's, there's no temperature checks required and nothing coming out regarding testing of students and staff.
0: How prepared are your teachers for remote testing? That requires a little bit of technology, being able to fire up a Zoom session, get your students all on board and have access to, you know, remote tests and grading and synchronized class. My, my wife's college is going to do what's called synchronized classes on WebEx, mm-hmm.
1: where yeah, we the have. students
0: all attend at the same time.
1: Yeah, the teachers have been doing that since last spring, since we, our schools closed. So they're very familiar with synchronous uh, learning through Zoom. But I would say that um, our teachers are are pretty innovative in comparison to um, a lot, and so they're really chomping at the bit to get more training in terms of how they can innovate within a remote setting. So they've got the basics down. You know, they've got Google Classroom, and they've got Zoom, and they've, they're familiar with giving assessments online, and, you know, the key to good assessments is not having it be something you can Google anyway. So um, a lot of our teachers have already are already well-positioned to, you know, give good assessments, um, but I think that they just are eager to find something a little more engaging than just, like, the basic technology that allows them to connect with students so
0: that will evolve
1: as administrators and i think one of the ways that we're going to tackle that is by taking advisory classes of our own as administrators so we can actually experience you know some of the some of the frustrations uh, that teachers are experiencing when we're trying to teach a class so that we can better be instructional leaders for them
0: are you facing any difficulties with students who didn't happen to have a computer at home
1: We uh, are fortunate that we at the um, high school had enough technology to be able to go one-to-one, so we were able to provide Chromebooks and hotspots to students who um, needed them. We still had some issues with connectivity in some areas because we're a pretty rural setting in some pockets of our community, um, so that's something we need to figure out. Again, why I would like to think outside the box a little bit and invite Uh, Some select students into the school on a daily basis if need be if they can't access in their home So we're fortunately pretty dialed uh, when it comes to um, When it comes to providing devices and internet to our our families. Thankfully, I can't imagine the districts um, In some areas around the country that don't even have that capability and how they would go about running a remote Educational experience without that.
0: How do you feel about this mental health issue? Some people have argued that uh, the mental health issues are so important that it's worth risking exposure to the virus to keep the students healthy and happy and engaged and in good mental shape. What do you think about that argument and are you using it?
1: I think it's fair. Yeah, I do think it's fair. Again, I think that um, that it doesn't have to be an either or like it doesn't have to be students mental health. Or staff lives, <laughs> you know. I think I think we can be strategic about, you know, if you if you run a school where you have systems in place and personnel in place designed to know your students well, then we can know strategically who should be coming in to the building and how to keep that number minimal so that staff can also be safe. So even if we're running a full remote program, we can have students in the building who are homeless or otherwise in uh, situ- uh, home situations that uh, don't provide. You know, structure or stability or security or safety, um, so that they can access their education and and the connection to staff, so that their mental health can be preserved. Again, it's it's not an either or, and both arguments are 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 very. Um, uh, I mean, they're they're founded. So I, I I struggle to say you know it's a it's a families versus teachers situation. I think all the teachers in our school wants want what's best for. our our kids too. So that's why we got to make sure that we're honoring both of their safety when we're making these decisions.
0: Is anybody thinking about doing some research to evaluate whether the remote learning prepares the students equally as well as in class and by virtue of uh, looking at the standardized tests to see if you can discriminate between in-class and remote learning effectiveness?
1: I think there has been some research a little bit. I don't know if it's based on the standardized assessment. I'm not really sure what um, it's based on, and the, the preliminary research says that remote learning, as it's been done so far, does not. Uh, that does being not measure up? Correct. That being said, I know there are some online schools that are actually well-versed with how to properly educate students in a remote setting that do get good results. So it's not that it's inherently worse because it's remote. I think it's just teachers having to pivot um, you know, on such short notice and try to de- design a system from the ground up without having the training that really... Makes it hard to be effective in that situation.
0: I have a geek type question here for you from John. So, with the teacher sitting there at, a, at the computer, hopefully it's a Macintosh.
1: Um, it's a Chromebook. Uh,
0: corralling the students together and and uh, engaging them remotely. Uh, what kind of interesting opportunities are there in that kind of environment for? bringing in YouTube videos or any active simulations or other technologies that weren't realistic before when the teacher was standing at a whiteboard?
1: Yeah, well, I don't think many of our, I, I honestly don't think many of our teachers did just teach by standing at a whiteboard. Um, I think that there, and, and YouTube would be considered, you know, old tools for engagement. I don't mean old, like oh, cool, but I, I think that, you know, there's, there's Padlet and Flipgrid and all sorts of apps and tech that, uh, work to engage uh, students. And I, you know, I I unfortunately wouldn't even know the half of it. Um, but I, I think that our teachers have had kids on the, the Google Classrooms and similar technology for, for years. So for some of them, it wasn't that tricky of a pivot. For others um, who maybe hadn't challenged themselves with this technology in the past couple of years, it was much more difficult. If you're a teacher that, you know, taught via PowerPoint or slides up up in front of the classroom, this would have been a much harder transition for you. But I think the majority of teachers don't uh, teach that way anymore.
0: Is it necessary for your district to provide training classes for those few teachers who need to catch up?
1: Oh, absolutely. And we, we're not just those few teachers, but we we, like I said, no one's ever done this before, including administrators. So we need to provide training classes for all of us because there's no such thing as a one-and-done training and education where you just get the information and all of a sudden you're an expert. It takes continuous yeah. practice
0: mm. time. What question did I not ask that I should have asked?
1: Oh, that's good. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think you've asked some really good questions. I think you're asking the questions that are on everyone's mind right now. The unfortunate thing is just there's no easy answers.
0: Well, my last question on my agenda here was uh, after everybody's vaccinated. What do you think the long-term changes to education are going to be as a result? What new things have we learned, and how will education look after we're all vaccinated and things return to the new normal?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I, it's interesting because I've I'm not a traditionalist at all, and if anything, I have too much of a propensity for change. But what I think that um, what I think that I've come to value is some of those things that we take for granted which is you know outside of the just credit earning opportunities it's all those moments in between it's the conversations in the hall during passing period it's the relationships between staff and students it's the dances it's the football games it's the
0: team
1: mm-hmm. it's all the stuff that makes school not just school but an education a well-rounded education and i think you know when we when we get back to it we we need to not take all that extra stuff for granted because it's really what keeps kids' heads in the game for the most part. Um, I think that the interconnectedness between subject matters is something that we need to focus on moving forward, not seeing every content area as its own silo, but really looking at how can they work together to get kids excited about a relevant learning opportunity now, not just for the future, but something that can impact them or the community in real time. So, I think, uh, you know, moving forward, we're, we need to not take some of the traditional school stuff that we've uh, been saying needs to change for years for granted because for some of our kids, that's what that's what kept them, kept them in school.
0: Well, we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank you for joining me. I'm betting that a lot of teachers and parents and others will be interested in maybe uh, leveraging off your experience. It sounds like you have a very smart and experienced principal, you, and school district. Uh, and maybe somebody would like to chat with you or connect with you on Twitter, how can they do that?
1: Yeah, so my handle is at FastCran, and I, um, when I'm not in the midst of a crazy pandemic, I'm usually pretty responsive, uh, so uh, yeah, they can find me there.
0: All right. I want to thank you again for joining me. This has been very educational and interesting. I appreciate you coming on the show and chatting with me.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Folks, you've been listening to Dr. Amy Fast and John Marchalero on the Mac Observer's background mode.